Chapter Three of *The Genial Idiot* by John Kendrick Bangs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Boydell. Chapter Three, The Idiot's Valentine. Well, old man," said the poet as the idiot entered the breakfast room on the morning of Valentine's Day, "how did old Saint Valentine treat you? Any results worth speaking of?" Or the usual layout returned the idiot languidly. Nine hundred and forty-two passionate declarations of undying affection from unknown lady friends in all parts of the civilized world. One thousand three hundred and twenty-four highly coloured but somewhat insulting intimations that I had better go way back and sit down from hitherto unsuspected gentlemen friends scattered from Maine to California. One small can of salt marked sent valentine to the idiot with sundry allusions to the proper medical treatment of the latter's freshness and a small box containing a rubber bottle stopper labelled cork up and bust i can't complain well you did come in for your share of it didn't you said the brief yes said the idiot i think i got all that was coming to me and i wouldn't have minded if i hadn't had to pay three dollars overdue postage on em I don't bother much if some anonymous chap offering the wires of Calicajoo takes the trouble to send me a funny picture of a monkey grinding a hand organ with the loving regards of your brother, or if somebody else, who is afraid of becoming too fond of me, sends me a horse chestnut with a line to the effect that here is one I haven't printed, I don't feel like getting mad. But when I have to pay the postage on the plaguey things, it strikes me it is rubbing it in a little too hard and if I could find two or three of the senders, I'd spend an hour or two of my time banging their heads together. "'I got off pretty well,' said the bibliomaniac. "'I only got one valentine, and though it cast some doubt upon the quality of my love for books, I found it quite amusing. I will read it to you.' Here the bibliomaniac took a small paper from his pocket and read the following lines. THE HUNGRY BIBLIOMANIAC If only you would cut your books as often as your butter, when people ask you what's inside, you wouldn't sit and sputter. The reading that has made you full, the reading that doth chain you, is not from books or women's looks, but fresh from off the menu. What do you think of that? asked the bibliomaniac with a chuckle, as he folded up his valentine and stowed it away in his pocket once more. "'I think I can spot the sender,' said the idiot, fixing his eyes sternly upon the poet. "'It takes genius to get up a rhyme like men and chain you, and I know of only one man at this board, or at any other, who is equal to the task.' "'If you mean me,' retorted the poet, flushing, "'you are mightily mistaken. "'I wouldn't waste a rhyme like that on a personal valentine "'when I could tack it on the end of a sonnet "'and go out and sell it for two fifty. "'Then you didn't do it, eh?' demanded the idiot. "'No, did you?' asked the poet, with his eyes twinkling. "'Sir,' said the idiot, "'if I'd done it, would I have had the unblushing effrontery to say, "'as I just now did say, that its author was a genius?' "'Well, we're square anyhow,' said the poet. "'You cast me under suspicion to begin with, "'and it was only fair that I should whack back. "'I got a valentine myself, 
and I suspect it was from the same hand. It runs like this. To the minor poet. You do not pluck the fairy flowers that bloom on high Parnassus, nor do you gather thistles like some of those mystic asses who browse about old Helican in hope to fill their tummies. Yours, rather, are those dandelions, gilt-topped chrysanthemums. Quite pleasant stuff that ends in fluff, yet when they are beholden, make all the world look golden. Well, ejaculated the idiot, I don't see what there is in that that makes you angry. Seems to me there's some very nice compliments in that. For instance, your stuff when tis beholden makes all the world look golden. According to your anonymous correspondent, if he'd been vicious it might have said something like, With all so supercilious, they make the whole earth bilious. The poet grinned. I'm not complaining about it. It's a mighty nice little verse, I think. And my only regret is that I do not know who the chap was who sent it. I'd like to thank him. I had an idea you might help me, he said, with a searching glance. I will, said the idiot. If the man who sent you that ever reveals his identity to me, I will tell him you fell all over yourself with joy on receiving his tribute of admiration. How did you come out, doctor? Oh, he remembered me all right, said the doctor. Quite in the same vein, too, only he's not so complimentary. He calls me the human surgeon and runs into rhyme after this fashion. Oh, Dr. Blank's a surgeon bold, a surgeon most humane, sir, and what he does is air devoid of ordinary pain, sir. If he were called to amputate a leg hurt by a bullet, he wouldn't take a knife and cut, but with his bill he'd pull it. He must have had some experience with you, Doctor, said the idiot. In fact, he knows you so well that I am inclined to think that the writer of that valentine lives in this house, and it is just possible that the culprit is seated at this table at this moment. I think it very likely, said the doctor dryly. He's a fresh young man, five feet ten inches in height. Pooh-pooh, said the idiot. That's the worst description of Mr. Brief I ever heard. Mr. Brief, in the first place, is not a young man, and he isn't fresh. I didn't mean Mr. Brief said the doctor significantly. Then you ought to be ashamed of yourself to intimate that Mr. White Choker, a clergyman, will stoop to the writing of such a rhyme as that, cried the idiot. People nowadays seem to me to be utterly lacking in that respect for the cloth to which it is entitled. Mr. Brief, if you really wrote that thing, you owe it to Mr. White Choker to own up and thus relieve him of the suspicion the doctor has so unblushingly cast upon him. I can prove an alibi, said the lawyer. I could no more turn a rhyme than I could play Parsifal on a piano with one finger. And I wouldn't if I could. I judge from what I know of the market value of poems these days that that valentine of the doctor's is worth about two dollars. It would take me a century to write it. And inasmuch as my time is worth at least five dollars a year, it stands to reason that I would not put in five hundred dollars worth of effort on a two-dollar job. So that lets me out. By the way, I got one of those trifles myself. I want to hear it. I'm just crazy to hear it, said the idiot. If any man has reduced you to poetry, Mr. Brief, he's a great man. 
With all your many virtues, you seem to me to fit into a poetical theme about as snugly as an automobile with full power in a china shop. By all means, let us have it. This modern St. Valentine of ours has reduced the profession to verse with a nicety that elicits my most profound admiration, said Mr. Brief. Just listen to this. The lawyer is no wooer yet, to sue us is his whim. The lawyer is no tailor, but we get our suits from him. The longest thing in all the world they are the lawyer's briefs, and all the joys he gets in life are other people's griefs. Yet spite of all the lawyer's faults, he's one point rather nice. He'll not remain lest you retain, and never gives advice. The author of these valentines, said the doctor, is to be spotted the way I diagnose the case, by his desire that professional people should be constantly giving away their services. He objects to the doctor's bills, and he slaps sarcastically at the lawyer, because he doesn't give advice. That's why I suspect the idiot. He's a professional idiot, and yet he gives his idiocy away. When did I ever give myself away? demanded the idiot. You are talking wildly, Doctor. The idea of your trying to drag me into this thing is preposterous. Suppose you show down your valentine and see if it is in my handwriting. Mine is typewritten, said the Doctor. So is mine, said the bibliomaniac. Mine too, said the poet. Same here, said Mr. Brief. Well then, said the idiot, I am willing to write a page in my own hand without any attempt to disguise it and let any handwriting expert decide as to whether there is the slightest resemblance between my chorography and these typewritten sheets you hold in your hand. That's fair enough, said Mr. Whitechoker. Besides, persisted the idiot, I've received one of the things myself, and it'll make your hair curl if you've got any, typewritten like the rest of them. Shall I read it? By common consent, the idiot read the following. Idiot, zany, brain of a hare, Dalton noodle, past compare, Bunkum bosh and verbal slosh, Mind of nothing, full of josh, Madman donkey, dizzard pate, US zero syndicate, Dull depressing lack of wit, Incarnation of the nit, Minus numbskull drivelling baby, Greenhorn dunce and dotard gaby, All the queer and loony chorus, Found in Roger's Theosaurus, flat and crazy through and through, that, oh idiot, that is you. Let me tell you, sir, in fine, I won't be your valentine. What do you think of that? asked the idiot when he'd finished. Wouldn't that jar you? I think it's perfectly horrid, said Mrs. Pedagog. Mary, pass the pancakes to the idiot. Mr. Idiot? Let me hand you a full cup of coffee, John, and the idiot the syrup. Why, how a thing like that should be allowed to go through the mails passes me. And the others all agreed that the landlady's indignation was justified, because they were fond of the idiot in spite of his faults. They would not see him abused at any rate. Say, old man, said the poet later, I really thought you sent those other valentines until you read yours. I thought you would, said the idiot. That's the reason why I worked up that awful one on myself. That relieves me of all suspicion. End of chapter 
three.